All right. Everybody doing good? Everybody doing gooder and gooder? <laughs> when, I, uh, when I left school, my exit exam in English was 36%. So I just, I'm just totally with you. Oh, what's wrong with gooder and gooder? I was a high school dropout. I left school the day I was 15. I never finished high school. And uh, I just love the redemption of God, you know. It's that, you know, I'm probably one of the most uneducated people that you'll meet. I don't have any education. I have a brain. I'm just not educated. And... um and when I when I wrote my book, when when Destiny actually asked me to Destiny Image approached me and asked me to write the um, the um, my first book, <laughs> I forgot what it's called again. Walking in Supernatural Healing Power. <laughs> they asked me to write that, and but first they came to me and they asked me to write a chapter in another book, which was called An Apple for the Road, and then they asked me to do a chapter in another one, which is called An Apple for the Day. It was a whole bunch of pastors, and we just did one chapter each. And uh, they wanted 5,000 words. And like, I've never written 5,000 words in my life on anything. And people write me long emails, and they get a three-worded email back. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I said, I, I can't write 5,000 words. That's just too many. you know. And they're like, you can do it. So I sat down, and I wrote these two chapters for these two books of 5,000 words, and and then they came to me and they said, we'd actually really like you to write your own book. And um, my first question is, is like, oh, how many words? <laughs> I hope it's not much more than 5,000. And they said they need 50,000. And I just like, 50,000? Like, what? And uh, so I, wrote, I sat down and I wrote 50,000. And they said, don't worry too much about it because we'll probably edit 25,000 out. <laughs> And I said, thank you. I said, why don't, why don't you just listen to my messages and you write the book? <laughs> it, was a, it was a very um, intimidating project for me. And uh, so I sat down and my wife had gone to New Zealand with my two youngest for, for a vacation for a couple of weeks. And I was at home with Charlotte and my little one goes to bed at six every night. And so I had every night by myself and I just sat down and I just, I just started writing and it just flowed out of me. It was like, this is actually not too hard. You know, I mean, it was, it, it was hard, but it was, you know, the, the grace was on the second one, overflow that, just like, boom, I wrote that in like, I don't know, maybe two weeks. I mean, just fell out of me. And um, I submitted it to Destiny for editing, and uh, they came, and I was really nervous. I'm like, man, if they edit to 30,000 out, they could just totally change what I'm trying to say. And they came back and said it was the most revelatory book they'd ever read on healing. Better than Bill Johnson. Don't tell me all that. <laughs> Bill doesn't really write on healing, you know. And uh, they said it's so revelatory that we're actually going to leave it exactly as it is. We're not editing anything out. And I'm like, really? And they said, but we do need to fix the spelling and the punctuation and the grammar. <laughs> See? Edit, editors make you look like a genius. <laughs> and then in the second book, the second book, I decided not to go with Destiny. I actually went self-published on that one. And um, that's why you're not going to find it on places like Amazon and stuff like that. Not, not yet anyway. If you're really interested in ebook on that, we do have it there on ebook. And I just, I didn't want to give it to Amazon. 
and it was pure, mainly because of selfish reasons for the purpose of my kids is that Amazon wanted 55% off the retail and then they compete with you. And, uh, and I just didn't want to do that. I didn't want to give a business my profits when I wanted to give my daughters my profits. So I made the book harder to get. So I held it back and thought, I'm just going to make it a traveling book. And, um, and then people can just buy it so I make better margin on it to, to give to the kids. As I said yesterday, the kids take all the profit on that. So, yeah, so that's my, my redemption story of uh, being an absolute high school dropout to now having written. It's my, uh, well, I've done the two-part ones and then the three out there. And then I've got uh, another one that I'm working on at the moment. I actually got two that I'm working on. My, and I've got three that I'm working on right now. And my wife's working on one as well. So one's going to be called Audacious Faith. And one's going to be called um, Apprehended Identity. And she's writing one called um, Tenacious Hope. And, um, and then we're writing a book um, in conjunction with my assistant. We don't have a title for it yet, but it's, it's um, with the autism breakthroughs that we've been seeing, we've been following up with the families and some of these testimonies now over four or five years. And it's powerful when somebody gets healed, but it's even more powerful when I tell you the story five years on that you know, rather than you know, something got healed and it's like, oh, I wonder how they are now. So we've tracked these kids for four or five years and we're building case studies around the kids with doctor's reports and parents' reports and photos and stuff like that. And we're building a book on autism, of autism breakthroughs that are either in process, like significant breakthrough or full breakthrough. So the, story, the book is going to be, it's going to be a hard case, high, a hard cover high-quality coffee, coffee table kind of book that's going to have short teachings on it about, like, peace and things like that, and it's just going to be blended through with sto- real-life stories of these kids that have had you know, significant breakthroughs. So we're hoping to have that out by October. So we've just got, the, just got the permission from the parents. I just wrote to them a couple of weeks ago and told them we wanted to include them and they needed to respond, and we've had nine of them come back, I think, saying that they wanted it, and, uh, and we only want about nine stories. That'll be enough in the book to what we're trying to achieve with the little mini teachings. So that's going to come out sometime, sometime this year as well. So, yeah. Okay. What we're going to do, what I want to do this afternoon is rather than, rather than just teach on something you probably already know or something that you don't want to know, is that I think that it would be best. It's not from a lack of not getting stuff to teach. I've got so much stuff that it's like, oh, i got one session. What do I do? So what I thought I'd do is we'd open it up for some questions, and then I can actually get to teach into what you want to know. And I just I find teaching really beneficial. I'm sorry, I find questions really beneficial to me because what we're doing is we're getting to the absolute root of what you wanted to know, and we just create dialogue and discussion off that. Does that sound okay? We're just going to get a we're going to get a microphone there, so we're just going to make sure that these are live. So Benji's going to be the runner. So just put your hand up, and he will come around and come around and see you. Nice run. I just reserve the right to not know the answer. <laughs> If I don't know the answer, CJ's going to answer all the tricky ones. <laughs> You've used the term healing, and then you use the term breakthrough and profound breakthrough. How do you differentiate between those as you minister to people? What, what qualifies as a healing versus a breakthrough or a profound breakthrough? Well, in the case of um, the autistic kids, 
I use sometimes the term profound breakthrough or significant breakthrough, but they're not, they're not fully there. They haven't fully, you know, like they've had significant things happen, and, um, but they're not, in, like say in the kids of autism, they're not completely 100% normal, whereas I have had some that are 100% normal. So I use the word healing and miracle sometimes as synonymous. I know that they're not quite synonymous, but in the event of the kids, when I talk about new complete breakthrough, I'm talking about they're completely healed versus a significant breakthrough. So something has significantly happened. I'm really big on, I'm a really big advocate on stewardship, right? It's a really big thing in my life, in all areas of my life, to healing, to finance, to just you know, walking out revelation, to, to, to all of that. And I think that what we, what, I, I, I feel like that sometimes in the body is that we're not great stewards of what we get. And it's in the stewardship. Someone was asking me yesterday, I don't remember who it was. I think it was over lunch. One of my, I think it was one of my team, actually, about the, the places in your ministry where you've felt like you've had a significant increase. And I said that there's places in my ministry where there's been significant upgrades. I can look at different events and tell you, like, yeah, something happened then and something happened then and something happened then. And they become the new tide, the high, the high water mark. But yet I think that what's more powerful than that, as much as I love those upgrades, you know, when you just get whacked by God, you know, like he just really gets you, you know, and you get an upgrade. I think what's more powerful than that is the power of stewarding every day. And I think that I really do believe that increase comes by stewardship. And as I've learned to, as I've learned to steward the healing anointing that God's placed on my life and that means preserving the testimonies and remembering the testimonies and, and living in that place every day of being thankful and, you know, just really blessing what God's done in my life and being thankful for what God's done in my life and stewarding the revelation or stewarding my finances or whatever is that then God brings increase on that. And I think sometimes we, we don't steward. We just go from touch to touch from God. But I don't know that we can really maintain a new high watermark when we're just going from touch to touch and waiting for the next one without stewarding. I know we kind of crossed the line there and to move from your question into, into something else there. So, so I do use the terms, the two terms differently. But when we learn to steward, we can get a partial healing. It's the same like last night. Some people got like 90%. And I'm like, you got it. Just give thanks. And we've got to learn to stay connected to the source, not S-A-U-C-E, S-O-U-R-C-E. We, we've, got to stay, we've got to learn to stay connected to the source. And, and see, stewardship is like, if I pray for you and you don't get healed, or you do get healed 80%, you had, like, you had, a, you had a significant breakthrough, right? You're not fully there, but you had a significant breakthrough. And if we don't learn to steward what you just get, whether it be nothing or whatever, you walk out and go, oh, that didn't work tonight. Well, you're just disconnected from the source. And what I've discovered is that if we can learn to steward what we've got in thanksgiving, is that the increase will continue to come because the kingdom always increases with thanksgiving. I can tell you many stories. Many, many stories. Just, I mean, I don't know if I told you this one already, but just... Um, two weeks ago, I was in Japan and prayed for a deaf man. Nothing happened. But he just went home giving thanks for other people's miracles. 
Five days later, in the middle of nowhere, boom, his ear just opened up. Five days. I don't know that that would have happened if he didn't steward what he got in Thanksgiving. So a real big deal to me. Stewardship is huge. It's, the, it's probably the biggest thing. That's, I have a message out there. It's for free, and it's called... Um, it's called uh, stewarding your healing. Thank you. So I need assistance around me to make me look like a genius. <laughs> I'm stewarding your healing because I I believe in I don't believe that miracles are God's best for our life. I believe divine health is. But why are we not walking in divine health? Because we're not stewarding our lives. I'm not meaning that as a condemnation rebuke to anyone. I'm just I'm just saying like, how can we walk in divine health when we eat the junk that we eat? You know, so stewarding is, is, is an important part of every part of my life. Yeah, Chris, you mentioned, um, you know, it's obviously it's not by works, but what's your take on like fasting for breakthrough and healings? Like what do you do now and, and what's, how's the right approach to come with like the right heart in that? I fast every day from when I go to bed to when I wake up. And that's why they call breakfast, breakfast. <laughs> I, I think that I think that fasting is an important part of the life of the believer. What I have an issue with is the motivation behind fasting. Motiv- fasting doesn't change God. It changes you. I, I personally think that most people's fast is nothing more than a hunger strike. Now I've fasted, God, you've got to do this. No, that's called a hunger strike. It says in the scripture where they brought the boy to Jesus and they couldn't get him healed. And Jesus turns and he goes, this type only comes out by prayer and fasting. Well, fasting wasn't in the original manuscript. A scholar put it in there because he didn't think it sounded like it. It just sounded like it was too easy. And it was put in fasting, was put in way later. Now, when he says that this type only comes out of prayer, prayer and fasting, I can't help but wonder whether Jesus actually meant this. He wasn't referring to the sick boy, he was referring to the disciples. Your unbelief is only going to come out by prayer and fasting. So I think that fasting, I, I am a terrible faster. And I think that most of my fasting that I have done is hunger strikes and by works. But I'm just thankful that God doesn't take anything and waste it. Even in my stupidity and my works of my fasting that I did, man, he taught me some stuff in that season. I'm so thankful for what he taught me. I'm so thankful that I did those fasts, even though it was works, because that's just the nature of God. We think we've been stupid and wasting time and works and what have you, and he yet he, turn, he takes our ashes and he turns them to beauty. So I, I, if I can be really honest with you now, the last time I did a fast, spiritual fast, was in 2007. And, and I was fasting, I was doing a 40-day fast, and on day six the Lord said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm fasting. And he said, I didn't tell you to. He said, 
you're, you're not fasting, you're hunger striking, and I don't want you to fast again until I tell you to do so. And I'm like, sounds good by me. <laughs> and, I, and I haven't heard him. Now, now, now I'll tell you, I, I felt of late that I need to go and fast. And I haven't done it yet. I don't feel like it's like a pressure thing. Like I told you, like it's a disobedience thing. And just feeling the conviction in my heart that I was thinking about it yesterday while praying. It's like, I think I need, to, I need to do a fast. It's just to really, I'm not trying to convince God to do something. It's just to position my own heart. I don't know that I've ever seen or heard of any testimony where someone in the church has got cancer and the church has been called to an all-time fast and we've fasted and we've seen breakthrough. I've always seen those people die. I don't know that it's fasting that actually sees the breakthrough. It's fasting that changes our position and our heart before God and keeps us pliable and soft before God. Um, you were talking about stewardship. Could we revisit that and talk about different ways that you see stewardship and how to steward things, ways to steward, you know? Yeah, way to steward things is that I um, do my best to record testimonies. I probably have 600,000 on my computer, minimum of 600,000. And I can just sit there and read over the testimonies when I'm feeling a little discouraged. I can just open it up and go to my testimony file and just like... Oh man, I remember that day. And refresh myself. I steward myself on the Word of God, of making sure that I'm feeding myself on the Word of God. I steward myself in in every area. I steward myself in revelation. So when God gives me something, I'm going to make notes on it so I can develop that further and build on it. I want to make sure that I keep things in my, my memory, which may mean having to write them down. I think sometimes in. I steward my prophetic words. If someone gives me a prophetic word, I'm going to make sure I record it or have it written down. And I can go back over the years and play you most of the prophetic words that I've had over the years. I've got, got things recorded on here. I've got, I think as you guys was talking to, I've got, um, you, do you guys know who Gordon Lindsay is? Christ for the Nations. I've got Mrs. Frieda Lindsay. You know, she, I mean, she, I think she died at 94 or 95. I've got her on here praying for me. And uh, so... I'm going to continue to steward those. And once in a while, I listen back to them and I remind myself of the, of the promises and the things that God has spoken over my life. As opposed to, you know, I think the, the number one way that we can keep ourselves encouraged, this is very, very simple. Who wants to be encouraged every day of their life? You've just got to remember what God's done and what God's doing. I cannot choose to, I cannot choose to put my attention on that which has not happened. If I put my attention to that, which has not happened, I'm, I'm, I, I'm depressed in 20 seconds. I've got a whole lot that hasn't happened. I've got a whole lot of things that have gone wrong. I just choose not to. That's not what's going to get my attention and my affection. What's going to get my affection and attention is what God's said and what God's done and what his word says. And that's, that, to me, is stewarding. Dreams. Dreams. I mean, you guys got a dream life. I mean, some dreams I wake up and I'm like, yeah, that, I had too much cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and other dreams I wake up and it's like, oh, that was God. You know, I'm going to write it down because 
I know what's going to happen if I don't write it down. I forgot it in 24 hours. I had some of the most profound dreams. Some of them are just like, I feel like they're actually extremely directional dreams for my life. I got one of them that in the dream, it actually, in the dream 18 months ago, it unfolds next month. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's like I write it down and I, I, can't, I just can't wait for March. Because, you know, it's like the, in the dream, it unfolded in March and the next step happened in March. And it's like, to me, that's stewardship. If I hadn't written it down, it would have been gone out of my memory bank. I'm stewarding it, remembering what God said. It doesn't happen in March. Maybe it was too much cheese. <laughs> no, it was a profound God dream. I had, I had eight or ten dreams where God has visited me and sat with me and spoken to me personally. Didn't see him, just heard him audibly spoken to me. I remember all those. And don't think I have this vivid relationship with God where he chats to me every night in my dream. No, it's probably happened eight or nine times over 15 years. It's, I wish it would happen every night. <laughs> I really do wish it would happen every night. Some nights it's like, God, why didn't you speak to me in my dream last night? You know, so that's, that to me is just stewardship. Remembering what he's done. He said to the disciples, do you not see? Do you not hear? He had just seen, Jesus had just seen the disciples, I'm sorry, the disciples had just seen Jesus multiply food. Within a couple of days, they're out on a boat. John forgot sandwiches. Jesus says, do you not see? Do you not hear? Do you not remember the feeding of the 5,000? They produced a feast for 5,000 and now they can't produce a sandwich for themselves. Jesus tells them off, do you not see, do you not hear, do you not remember the feeding of the 5,000? There's a message out there, I think it's out there, it's called the power of remembering. This is just stewardship, remembering what God's done. And if you've got nothing to be thankful for, and you think, <clears throat> well, I can't think of a miracle to be thankful for, you should read your Bible sometime and give thanks that Lazarus is raised from the dead. Can you um, kind of explain a little more about the difference between works and spiritual discipline? Um, because I know that, like, when I read my Bible or when I have devotionals, it, it should come out of, like, I love God and I want to spend time with him. But sometimes I, I don't feel that but I, I do it because of what like spiritual discipline like yeah, even if I don't not works so okay that's not works that's spiritual discipline and I think sometimes the highest form of worship is when we don't want to worship you know and we just we just push in and we do it we do it anyway but works is when we're really trying to get God to do something and it generally comes out of lack of identity um you know, like I said, working for love. If I just see this miracle, I know that I'd have, you know, I know that God loves me. It's like, man, that's just a foolish statement. You know, like God loves you anyway. Whether you never, whether you never saw a miracle, you, you did or you didn't. So we end up doing these things for works out of lack of identity. We're working, there's a message out there called living unbalanced. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey into um really God dealing with my works. And I, give, I think there's 16 things in the message where I talk about we work to the cross versus from the cross. 
you know, one is, you know, righteousness. You know, I'm not on a journey for righteousness. I'm on a journey from righteousness. I'm not on a journey to the cross. I'm on a journey from the cross. I'm not, a, I'm not working for love. I work from love. There's, there's three of them that I can just remember. So I think that the church becomes, in many instances, we become so extremely works-orientated. And I'm not against works. I work from love, not for love. If we don't catch that, we think, well, under grace, I don't have to do anything. That's just the spirit of stupid. Like under grace, the more you see God and who he is, is the more I want to do. You can't tell me that I'm not working hard. I am working hard. I'm probably working too hard, to be honest with you. But I'm not doing it for validation or doing it for love. I do it because I know I'm loved. And I've got, I get so lost in the nature of Jesus. I just, I just got to read the Gospels and I just get wrecked at who Jesus is. And it just compels me to want to do something. okay so the other day i was listening to the radio and i heard something about a prayer burden and that at time prayer burden um and that at times we can wake up in the morning or sometime during the day we just feel heart ache or heartbreak and my question is there there have been times where i feel that and i'll pray because I know it's for something and eventually the answer comes on what I should pray for. But then there's other times where you said you can't give what you don't have, where I don't have peace, but I get that. And I'm like, I'm everywhere. I don't even know how to bring myself to what am I supposed to pray for in those moments? And is it even a prayer burden at that time? Yeah. Well, you're probably an intercessor. Yeah, I'm not. So, I mean, you've probably got the heart of an intercessor, and it's probably God placing things on your heart to, you know, to really, to really sow into. Um, I'm not sure if I quite understood the question, but that's kind of one part of it, that you're probably an intercessor. How do you give what you don't have? Like, my work is so stressful that, like, I don't have anything to give. And at that moment, I'm like, I could spend an hour, and I'm like, what do you need from me? I don't, I don't know what you, and I can't come to peace because I'm not in peace. Like, yeah. Um, I, I think that you just have to have a greater revelation of the one that lives in you is that it's not that you don't have peace, you do, you just don't recognize it in you. I think we've all, everyone that's a Christian has peace. It's just whether you choose to recognize it or not. But if we don't recognize it, we're still trying to get it. I'm not at peace. I've got to find peace. And we wonder why we're so stressed out. Trust me, I... If you, if you knew what I'm going through right now, you too would be stressed for me. I, I'm, st- I, I'm stressed. I got, my, my stress level is, has been very, very high the last nine months. But the hurricane around me is not going to become the hurricane in me. It's like I am stressed and I am busy and I've got a lot on and I've got a full-time job and I've got a disabled daughter and I've got two kids in college and I got, you know, I got, um, you know, I'm traveling 90 days a year. It's like I have got a lot spinning. I got a lot, a lot, a lot of plates spinning. And it's like, but you know what? I just, I'm just at peace. I'm not going to let that hurricane overtake me. 
So it's, it's, not that, it's not that stress doesn't come and it's not that we're not busy. But the hurricane outside is not going to come the hurricane inside. Benji gave me a great example and he said that in a storm, you open the window and a hurricane comes in. In the kingdom, you open the window and the peace goes out and comes the hurricane. That even in the midst of the trials which we all have, I just got to learn to stand peace. And sometimes we've got to do that by reminding ourselves of the promises of God. I'll, I'll share this with you. I'll just share a piece of it. This what I was sharing with you. I didn't come to America to live. I came for nine months and I was going to go home and it's now been 11 years. Education in New Zealand's free. I had, I had no plans on our kids attending college here. I have no college fund for my kids. And one day I was in Starbucks, not getting a coffee, I might add, I'm getting a tea. Read into that what you will. I will not say anything negative. I just read into that what you will. <laughs> and I, I'm lining up in Starbucks, and I have some concerns on my heart about how I'm going to pay for my kids' college. And the hurricane was raging. And the Lord spoke to me in like an audible voice in the car. And he says, you don't need to be concerned about it. I've got it covered. And I'm like, wow, like, where'd that come from? And I came to pay for my drink. And the lady goes, the car in front of you paid for you. And I'm like, I've never had anybody pay for a coffee for me at a drive-thru, right? And I'm like, now my first thought was, God, I thought you meant college, not my coffee. My tea it was two dollars. Like, I don't, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, God, but that was two dollars. <laughs> and she said to me, and I said, Oh, well, I said, I've never had anybody pay for a coffee. That's so sweet. I said, Let me pay for the car behind me. How much is that? She goes, Ten dollars. <laughs> and I'm like, And I pulled out my card and I paid for the coffee behind me, ten dollars. And I walked away feeling like a very blessed man. I didn't understand, you know, I thought, man, if God just meant my coffee, then I'm still blessed. And <clears throat> later that afternoon, I called my wife and she goes, hey, 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 before you say anything, the weirdest thing happened today. And I'm like, what happened? And she goes, I went to the shopping mall after work, after school, picked up the kids, went to the shopping mall, got out of the car, and there's $50 cash lying on the ground. So it started with me being given two. And we give away 10, five, 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 fivefold, get $50 back. And whenever I feel anxiety over my kids' college bills and things like that, it's very, honestly, it's very easy for me to lose peace over it. And every time I feel that anxiety creeping back up, like that hurricane's trying to sneak back into my house, I stop. And I remind myself of what God said to me in the car three years ago. You don't, need to, you don't need to be concerned about this. I've got it. 
And I had no idea how I was going to pay their student debts, but I committed to my kids one day without thinking about it. I opened my mouth and said, because the reward to my kids has to be greater than the sacrifice. And I opened my mouth and I said to my kids at the table one night, without even thinking about them, I didn't even tell my wife, it just came out. I said, you girls will never have a student loan and you'll never have a mortgage because I'm going to buy your first house and I'm going to pay all your student loans. And then I'm like, and I am an absolute person on my word. I had no idea how to do it. My, my middle daughter, my oldest daughter doesn't go to college because of disabilities and stuff, but my middle daughter, her student bill last year was $37,000 for the last two years. She has no student debt. I've cleared two years off without paying unsent and interest. See, even when the anxiety comes, I remind myself of the promises of the Lord and it brings me immediately back into peace. See, once you're in peace, I don't know that you always stay there. It's like the world is chipping away at you to get you out of that peace. And I just got to remind myself and keep my attention on what God's done and what God's doing, not on what hasn't happened. Does that make sense? I've got to anchor myself in his goodness of who he is. He's the provider. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He's the restorer. And it helps me to stay in peace in every circumstance in life, despite some of the massive pressures that I'm under right now on certain things, which you don't need to know about. I'm just, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Well, yesterday you kept saying that everyone, everyone who came to the Lord was healed. And I've always had a soft spot in my heart for this, the story this morning where the friends lowered him down through the roof. And I probably know the answer to this question that you can't want it for somebody, but what about the people you know that have serious, serious health things and, and you want so much for them, but they, they don't seem to recognize that they need to go after it. It's a tough one because sometimes sickness becomes our identity. And when it becomes our identity, it's extremely hard to to see those people. You know, some people get such nice disability checks that why would they want to be healed? Because with healing, like the crippled man at Gate Beautiful, he went running and leaping and praising God, which is he is healed. He had to take up his mat and walk running and leaping. He needed to walk into responsibility. And sometimes people don't want to be healed because they don't want responsibility. It's far easier just to put their hand out and receive the disability check. Thank you very much. You know, what would I do if I got healed? And I think that in ministering to some people like that, it's, it's a difficult one. And you as a healing minister to minister to them, you need, we need, we, not you, we, <laughs> me, you, us, we need to be careful that compassion will lock the person in their problem. I'm sorry, sympathy will lock the person in the problem. Compassion will pull them out. And the way that you know whether you're in sympathy or compassion is, is that sympathy, in sympathy, you, the awareness of the problem becomes larger than the awareness of the answer. I cannot afford to allow anything in my life to become larger than the awareness of the answer. Anything. 
because all I'm going to end up doing is ministering out of sympathy. Jesus didn't operate in sympathy. He operated in compassion. I must keep the answer at a greater awareness than the situations I'm facing. You've got friends as well that, you know, I minister to people all the time that you just know they just don't want healing. It's like, I still got to love them. The greatest thing that we can do is love. It's not my, I don't have an obligation to heal everyone. I have an obligation to love everyone. Even when they don't want healing, I can still love them. So I go into the jails with the women. How do I, how do I um, minister this? Because the time frame is always so short and we're normally dealing with addictions. Some people are, you know, have chemical problems because of the addiction. Some from small children, you know, from childhood on. I I also don't believe that everything is a demon. So the first approach is love, but I don't know how to go from there to help them walk out healed and not have to go back to that situation. Yeah. I, again, I I personally think the answer is identity. Now, please remember that the, my sons, I call them my sons, they're obviously not my biological sons. If you hadn't worked that out, I'm too young for 65 sons. <laughs> um, when I talk about my sons, these are all Christians. I'm, I'm operating in a faith-based unit. They're actually doing the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry on DVD. So they meet twice a week. To, so they, they are well and truly on their journey. So if you're talking about Christians versus non-Christians, I think that the issue with the Christians is that sometimes we don't understand our identity, so we're digging in the past trying to fix something that's been covered by the blood of Jesus. So if it was, if it was I don't pastor a church, right? I know I will be one day. That's part of the dream. It happens in March. And I think I know where it's going to be, and I know whose church it's going to be and everything. I just haven't told the person yet, and I don't plan on it because it happened in the dream. I'm waiting for them to come to me. <laughs> Is that if it, was, if it was my church and I was pastoring a church, I think probably 65% of my teaching would actually be on identity because it's in the place of it. And that's why I wrote Overflow, because most of that book is about the transformed mind, about changing the perspective of how we see things. And I think that as we release identity into people, we're actually releasing a permanent fix as opposed to putting a Band-Aid on a problem that's just going to spout off again. And I just find for myself that as I've grown in my identity, there's things that I've struggled with. I mean, how many of you know that Christianity is not a sin management program? Hello? but we've taught Christianity as a sin management program. Now that you're a believer, you've got to stop doing this and stop doing that. It's like, ah, that just doesn't work because Christianity is not a sin management program. But as we've taught them, as I learn my identity and I learn what the gospel says, the power of those addictions and strongholds and whatever gets broken off. You know, the woman... The woman came to Jesus, the woman with the um, caught in the act of adultery. I love that story. 
comes to Jesus and Jesus says, where's your husband? She says, I have, I have none. He goes, that's right. He said, you've had five, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Well, that's the sixth, and Jesus is the seventh. It's the seventh encounter, the perfect encounter. And Jesus turns to the woman and he says, where are those that condemn you? He makes her say the answer. There's something powerful about declaring. He makes her say, where are those that condemn you? There are none. He makes her say it. And he says, neither do I go and sin no more. Isn't it interesting that we've forgotten that piece and we tell people to go and sin no more, but the power to go and sin no more is actually knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we run, we run often ministries. I'm not saying you're doing this in prison, but we often run ministries like a sin management program of telling people that now that you're saved, you're not allowed to do that. No, what they need to know is they need to know their identity. Trust me, when they get their identity, the power of sin is broken and they'll go and sin no more. It's the no condemnation that came first. That's what empowered to go and sin no more. It's not the other way around. And that's why I think that so many Christians are actually drowning in sin and addictions and all those kind of things because we haven't been teaching the gospel. And the more that we actually teach the gospel that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you know that God's not judging us, the sooner that we get that identity piece down in our heart, it brings us peace and you'll find that the power that lorded over you that you felt like you had no control over the addictions and things like that they just start getting break up but we're walking around like you spirit of addiction come out it's like i don't know about you but i'm just finding that's not working it's it's actually releasing love and acceptance and identity into them and that's how i'd that's how i personally would be pastoring the church is 65 percent of it would be i got a great friend who's just planted a church in the last few years, and that's what he told me. He said, 70% of all my teaching now is identity, and I'm finding I'm getting a strong church. Now, I want to see strong people. I want to see people that can actually walk the journey out. And that's why I don't teach the principles of healing, because you can teach the principles, and you're like, you're going to walk out of here and pray for a couple of sick people, and when they're not healed, you go, I know God didn't love me. So I'm not interested in the principles. I want to teach you about the prince and how to walk strong. And that's, that's exactly why I wrote Overflow. Because I want to see strong believers that can walk in, the, the, walk in the, the daily power of the abundance of heaven to walk triumphantly over every circumstance, every situation in life. Because it's, it's, it's free people that set people free. I hope that helped. Is this helpful? Yeah. Hey, uh, last night you um, talked about um, having an offense against God. And I just wondered um, how you, if, if you do have, you know, how do you get past that? It's called repentance. Repentance? Yeah. 
called repentance, and repentance is changing our mindset. You know, I've I've spent some broken days before God. I've been totally, I've been totally broken before God on a number of occasions of, you know, where I've just repented and I'm like, I'm, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry I blamed you for things that are just not from you. I lost my mother as a 12-year-old boy. I saw my mum die in front of me. I haven't had a mother. I've had a vicious stepmother. A very vicious stepmother. That's just another story. I mean, she's tried to kill me a number of times. A number of times. Jug cords, axes, like broken jars come at my throat. You know what I mean? And I, I, I'm a heel. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm totally healed. Like, it's just an old chapter. I don't know where she is. I don't know where she where she lives. I don't know anything about her now. She's been gone for 15 years. But I've had to go to God. And it's like, because like my father, when my mum died, I, my father taught me such an important lesson. He said to me, Chris, he said, I, I don't understand what's happened. This is a 12-year-old. He's telling me this. He said, Chris, I, I don't understand what's happened. But he said, I'm not angry with God. And as a 12-year-old, it didn't mean a whole lot to me. But as later on in life, when I look back, I'm like, it means everything to me. Because how can we ever be offended at God if we recognize the power of the cross and what Jesus paid for? There's a lack of reality between what Jesus paid for and what we're seeing. And that's what I'm trying to close. But the shortfall's not on God's side. So, you know, when there's times where I feel like it's something that's dealt with, like if I can't celebrate, if I pray for a little crippled girl in a wheelchair that got up and got healed, I'm not going to say, why her? Why not me? When's my turn? It's the start of an offense with God. So I've learned to celebrate in every breakthrough that happens because when I position my own heart in thanksgiving for your breakthrough, I position... When I'm thankful for your breakthrough, I position my heart for my own. And I mean that genuinely. I don't go to that place of like, I'm not saying I don't have hard days. There's hard days when your health is not good or whatever, but I don't go to that place like, God, are you holding back on me? It's like, no, no, God's not holding back on you. It's called the cross. It's fully paid for. I'm walking this journey, you know, it's, Anyone realize it's not called, you know, the Christian, it's called the Christian faith for a reason. It's not called the Christian knowing. If you want a peace that surpasses understanding of what you're going through, do you know how you get that? Philippians 4, verse 6, you just give up your right to understand. I gave up my right to understand what I'm going through. All as I know is, is that He's the answer. And I'm not going to blame him for the things that haven't happened. I'm just going to keep my eyes heaven bound and looking at Jesus and keep on marching forward and releasing the kingdom. And when I, if, if I ever feel like that offense thing creeps in, like, you know, if I ever found that little niggling thought, like, do you ever wonder why you're not healed? I'd be just go straight back to the foot of the cross and I'm like, just deal with that thing. God, I had this thought today and I just want to deal with that right now. And I'm going to remind myself of your love and your graciousness and what you paid for at the cross.
mind. Repent means going one way, turning and going the other. He's better than you think. He's not the one that has to change the way he thinks. You're the one that needs to change the way you think. I have a question. Um, you've talked. Hello, you? back here. Oh. Hi. God. <laughs> God is a girl. No. <laughs> God in a female voice. Um, you've talked a bit about um, not staying overly focused on the problem, but staying focused on the healer of the problem. Um, I have a really good friend who has a really big problem. How can I help her find healing when her problem is so big and I know way too much about it? Yeah, sometimes the hardest people to minister to are those that are really close to you. It, it is, trust me. Like I tell you, when, you know, like uh, I've got all the faith in the world for crippled kids to be healed, right? But when it comes to my own daughter, you know, when other people come around and they want to pray, I leave the room because I'm too close. It's really, really easy for me to obviously operate in sympathy towards my daughter because when she hurts, I hurt. That's sympathy. So when people come around to pray for her, I I go out of the room. I don't want to be the one in the way. (laughs) I go to another room or go out of the house or go for a drive or something and I just let them them do the thing. And sometimes, sometimes people are so close to us that it's actually really hard to minister and sometimes we need people from an outside perspective to come in that's not so sympathetically tied to the heart of that person there are a few prayers that I I have this passionate longing that God would answer and there are times when I, I pray that I will say, Lord, I, I beg you to do this. I plead for you to do this. And I've been sort of convicted that's not the best way to pray about these things. How would you pray um, about passionately held longings differently than that? Yeah, I, I think that um, I want to explain this, try and explain this well, because it's probably going to go a little bit contradictory to what I say tonight. Okay, So I say that so you're aware of what I'm saying now versus tonight. I believe that there's timings of God. When it comes to healing, he's a now God. I don't believe in the timings of God when it comes to healing because he's a now God. Faith is not, faith for healing is not bringing the future into today. It's bringing the past into today. It's called the cross. Okay, so tonight I'm going to talk about the timing of God on healing. So I don't know what you're crying out to God for, whether it be healing or something else, but I know that there's things in my life that I've got many unanswered unanswered answers for. Does that make sense? Unanswered prayers for. And I think that in many of them there's a, a timing of God, and if God had have answered some of those things prior, I probably wasn't ready, and I probably would have made a mess. You know, and it's like, so sometimes it's like, I know that God's wanting to teach us a lesson in the sense that we're just not mature enough to sustain what he's going to give us. But in the Lord's Prayer where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not actually a prayer to heaven, it's a prayer from heaven. It's actually a declaration prayer. Because, pardon me, we're seated in heavenly places. So sometimes we're actually praying, 
you know, we're, we're pleading and begging God, 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 your kingdom come. It will be done. God, you have to show up. But the prayer is actually never that. The prayer is actually a declaration prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because we're seated in heavenly places, so we co-labor with God. We pray with God or from God. I didn't say I'm God, right? But we pray. And so most of my prayers are more declarative than they are pleading. But there's things in my life, obviously, where this I'm not saying that the prayer to God is wrong. But sometimes we fail to see results because we're actually asking God to do something that he asked you to do. Healing. Almost every time. Almost every time, if not 100% of the time. And I think a lot of people don't see don't see results in healing because their prayer is, God, would you come and heal this person? And he's like, I already did it, the cross. Would you declare it over them? God, 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 oh God, if it be your will. It's like that's the wishy-washy prayers for people that don't know his will. What is his will? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. He didn't say pray for them, he said heal them. So to me, like pretty much 100% of my healing prayers are more declarative prayers of praying the answer, speaking the answer into being, as opposed to begging God to come and do something for what's that which he's already done. That makes sense? So what do you usually tell people when you pray for them and they don't get healed? Like, what is your explanation? Because you gave us a really good long one about stewardship, but how would you explain to th- that to someone, maybe if they're not a Christian and you were able to pray for their healing? Well, well I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't give them a trite answer because that's what religion's done. Well, I guess, my friend, Robert, God's still developing character in you. There's another one, Robert. You weren't healed because you got some sin in there, don't you? <laughs> There's another one. We're going to talk about these tonight. You know, Robert, it didn't get you healed, but it's just not God's timing for your life. There's another one. You would have got healed if you had faith. So I'm not going to say any of those. I'm going to preach on that tonight. And I think that we need to be really careful that we're not giving trite answers to justify our powerlessness that we walk in. But rather I say things like, they might say, why was I not healed? And I'm like, you know, you know, Robert, I've seen many people where I prayed for them and nothing's happened, but they've gone home and got healed. I I mean, I could stand here all day and give you testimonies on that. Like the deaf man in Japan, I told you about five days later. So I would encourage you just to give thanks. See, when you're operating out of love and not treating the person as a project, you've had an impact on their life. 
like I said yesterday, if you're here, I've led people to Jesus, unbelievers that I prayed for and they didn't get healed, but they saw how much love I walked in and they had fish jumping in the boat and I led them to the Lord. They still didn't get healed. At the end of the day, salvation is the greatest miracle of all. So the number one primary objective is that we have to be people that operate in our love. Ministering out of love in everything we do. So sometimes I'll say to them, you know what? I don't know why you haven't got healed, but what I do know is that God's heart for you is healing. There is no question in my heart about that. So just continue to stay connected. Watch what happens. I tell you, I think we're going to be shocked when we get to heaven and find out how many people we prayed for and nothing happened and they went their way and got healed. I, I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to heaven in one way because I want to hear about all the things that I've prayed for that I never got to see the fruit for that I'll only see in eternity. And I, I think there's thousands of them. If you ever get healed, or someone ever prays for you and you get healed later on, please go back and tell them. Like, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes I find it out eight years later and it's like, man, I could have really done with that encouragement before today. <laughs> there's something powerful about, you know, there's something powerful about Thanksgiving as well and coming back to the, coming back and reporting what God's done. You know, the, the lepers went from Jesus. Um, how many was it? Ten? Yeah, ten lepers go from Jesus. How many came back? One. What did the one come back for? Give thanks. What did the what happened to the one? He was made whole. I I believe all ten got healed. No question in my heart about that. I believe nine of them had their leprosy cured. I think the one came back, got his nose back got his fingers back I think he was made whole love is the answer don't give trite answers and we're going to go through those systematically tonight so tonight I know we'll help you someone else okay in the bible it talks about how young men will have visions and old men will dream dreams does that mean I'm old (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> doesn't mean you're old. But uh, I've had some dreams where it would seem they were clearly from God. Others, not so much. And you wonder, how could this possibly be from God? But I've asked him to speak to me in any way that he chooses, including dreams and visions. And so I don't want to miss what he's trying to say, even if I don't understand it. So, Well, write them down, because I do think that some nights our dreams may be that we've had too much pizza, but it's actually God in it. So if you feel that there's something on it, I write it down. And so, and I'm also really careful about throwing my pill before the swine. So I have a dream. I've learned by experience that if I had a dream and I stand up and I tell you what the dream is, some of you are going to go... You just trampled on my pearls. So I've learned not to throw my pearl before the swine. I'm not calling you pigs. I'm just saying. (laughs) Is that some of those dreams I'm going to hold so close and dear to my heart that I'm not going to tell anybody what they are. And I may think it's a God dream and I may think it's a pizza dream, but I'm going to hold on to it and time will tell. 
And more often than not, sometimes you get down the path and you realize that you had a dream that you thought was pizza. And it's like, man, God is in that. And you look back and you can see how he spoke to you actually through that dream. So learn to steward your dreams a little more. I mean, there's some I don't write down. Some are just weird, you know, just outright weird, you know. And some are demonic. (laughs) I mean, I had some of those. I mean, I had a nasty one just a couple of years ago. Not even a couple of years ago, 18 months ago. It was just nasty. It took me three days to get over it. And it's like, it wasn't God and it wasn't cheese. It was demonic. I, I, you know, I told you my mum died when I was 12. I had a dream that a man came to me in my dream and told me that your mum didn't die. She ran away from you because she didn't want to see you anymore. And she's still alive. And I saw her today and I can show you where she is. And he took me to this hidden place and she's with another man on an island. You know, I mean, it was just outright demonic. And I woke up just absolutely rattled by it. Like, oh, how could mum do that to me? I mean, I, I knew the truth. But man, that's just that's just from how. So learn to just steward your dreams better. And then there's other dreams you've got to learn how to put your hand on the toilet flusher. <laughs> flush. There's a lot of things you've got to learn to flush that people say to you. They've got good intentions, but they just gotta be flushed immediately. I got my I live with my hand on the flusher. I'm very protective about I'm very protective about what I take on board of what people say or what happens in a dream. I'm quite protective of it. Learn to flush. They say something and as soon as they've turned their back, if you see me go like this <laughs> you know what I'm doing. And if it's really bad when they turn their back you might hear You choose. Our oh, questions. That's what he's asking. No one had their hand up. Uh, yesterday afternoon in the second session, you were telling a story. You were in India and you'd been praying over a little boy with deaf ears, I'm pretty sure. And uh, there wasn't breakthrough that you witnessed, but you mentioned somehow you took a picture, you had a picture that you kept with you, and you said, you in passing, you said you don't yes. recommend that, but you'll get into yes. it later. Is that later, yes, or did I, I miss it? I to say what that oh, okay. was about later, so thanks for reminding me. Uh, the, the point of that message is, is that it's not your burden to carry when somebody doesn't get healed. If you're going to take the burden for everyone that gets healed, you're not going to be in the healing ministry very long. If you're praying for one person a year, Right? It's not a big burden, right? And you don't see them healed. It's, you know, it's like putting a little rock in your backpack. It's, you, one rock in your backpack, you're not going to notice. But you start putting 10,000 rocks in your backpack each year that are not being healed. It's like, and you're, and you're lugging that burden around. It's like, it's only going to be a matter of time. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. See, and I, I did mention if it's not your glory, it's not your burden. And if it's not your burden, it's not your glory. And if we're going to take the burden, we're going to take the glory. And if we're going to take the glory, we're going to take the burden. See, neither is ours. Neither of the glory or the burden is ours. And it's important for when you're ministering to people and you're not seeing fruit, 
is that you take that back. This is what I do. I take it back to the foot of the cross. I've spent nights before God broken in my hotel room. And I'm like, Father, I've got something for you. And I'm not going to bed until it's dealt with. It's called, it's the burden. It's the burden of what didn't happen tonight. I can't take that to bed with me. And I'm going to leave that at the foot of the cross. But Father, I have to have a greater revelation of who you are in me and who you are through me. Because that person came to me to get you. And they didn't get you, they got me. So I have to have a greater revelation of who you are in me and who you are through me. I make sure I leave that burden there. And then I always do this as well. Father, I've got something else for you. I've got one too many thank yous tonight. And I'm just going to lay the glory at your feet. I thank you for every person that got healed. And I just remind myself that I am nothing without you. So I give you the glory for everything that happened tonight. Thank you, Father. And it leaves me, it leaves us in this real freeing place to begin to minister to people. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about being flippant about it. Didn't get healed, don't care. Next. <laughs> I, that's not what I'm talking about. When, when somebody gets healed, it's gasoline on my fire. Like, I'm just like, and when the person doesn't get healed, it's gasoline on my fire. It's not water on my fire when they don't get healed and gasoline on my fire when they do. I've trained myself to make sure that whether they get healed or they don't get healed, it's gasoline on my fire, that that's just an invitation to push in for more. Make sense? I deleted the boy off my computer because it's not a burden I can carry. I'm not wired to create carry burdens. And I don't need to because Jesus became my burden. He became a burden for me. It's called the cross. And that's where I need to learn to leave them. Someone else? What time do we finish? Three. Three. Are you guys okay with this? Mine's a little different. Uh, you've talked to us as believers about walking into the peace. About walking in the peace. But, like, I've been afflicted with uh, lupus for 37 years. And I've had several things healed. Not totally, but every time they pray, something else gets healed. You know, it's kind of like one at a time. I have at least two family members that are non-believers that watch me. And I can't teach them how to be able to come to Christ, to live in the peace, to, you know. I've tried to tell them there's different ways, but one of them goes to church and thinks she's a believer, but she's not. I don't mean to sound rude, but you're just believing a lie. You can teach them how to walk in peace because you can show them peace because your contentment's not, and if you get a miracle, your contentment is because you've got Jesus right now. And when we, when we discharge those lies and we just, you know, it's like I have people come to my healing rooms and they're like, you know, I'd really like to be on your team, but I'm in a wheelchair. So how can I heal people? I'm like, you're just believing a lie. Welcome to the team. Yeah.
you can walk in peace. Just walking in peace doesn't mean you have to be whole. Let them see it. Let them see the fruit in you. Fruit speaks for itself. And as I've learned to walk in peace and I'm not striving in amongst the hurricanes I live in and around, people see the fruit. I talk about the hurricanes that are around me, and I, you know, apart from my daughter, it's a hurricane. I got some hurricanes. And so I get these hurricanes around me, but just learn to walk in peace. It's like I'm not stressed and striving about it. And it's like when people do find out about this, some of the things I've been having to deal with, deal with, they're like, wow, you really do walk in peace. Fruit speaks for itself. But it's going to be a little different if, you know, I come around to my house and they see me yelling at my wife and yelling at my kids and, because I've got no peace, you know, over the circumstances and I'm, you know, going crazy at my wife and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, like fruit speaks for itself. They see how we walk. Um, you said a real brief comment about to the lady and lady behind me. Uh, when she was talking about prayer burdens, you said, oh, well, you must be an intercessor, and that's different. Um, can you say what you mean a little more yeah, about I, that? I think that God places burdens on our heart. And I think that, I mean, there's different people that God places more. I you know people that are just like wake up with burdens on their heart. And I think that there's people that are called to intercession to the, like the, the, the I'm not so sure it's an office, but you know the gift of intercession. I, I'm not. I, you know, I said that before. I'm, I'm not. You know, and uh, but I, I think that what we need to be careful of is that an intercessor is not called to a depressed life. I mean, if you're a depressed intercessor, you're doing something wrong. And I think you need to realign yourself. You should go and read Benny's book, The Happy Intercessor. I haven't read it myself, but I heard it's good. <laughs> Is it good? Oh, there you go. She said it's good. So, well, you can have burdens, but again, you need to pray from the answer. Like, I think sometimes intercessors take on the burden of somebody else. It's like, I'm going to carry that burden. No, 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 it's not your burden to carry. God has highlighted something to you so you can pray the answer into that circumstance. You don't carry their burden. Jesus did that. I'm dealing with a, I'm dealing with an issue right now with somebody in my healing rooms. I got a complaint yesterday. A woman came from ministry, and one of my prayer team prayed for her. And this is what she said to the lady: "I want you to take off your burdens, and I want you to pass them to my fellow." prayer team member because they're strong enough to take them now that's just called the spirit of stupidity it's interesting that she didn't say give them to me and I'll carry them she's giving them to a teammate <laughs> Jesus carried our burdens and we, we've got to learn to lay those burdens at the cross 
and pray into the answer. You might wake up with a burden, but you don't have to, you don't have to carry the depression of that burden. intercessor could probably answer that question better than I am, can I'm happy, I'm just not an intercessor um, I, I try to be mindful about um, the way you, we use like scriptures and things like that um, and I have a specific question of when operating like when either talking to people about healing or actually like working through healing when people say oh your ultimate healing will come in heaven is that ever okay to say no. to someone? No, it's an excuse for powerlessness. It's just, it's just a trite line that we use to justify the powerlessness we just walked in. And it's historically what a lot of the non-believing churches, I, I, I don't know that I should say evangelical churches because I've got some faith-filled evangelical friends. I'd say that some non-believing churches, non-believing believers will say, because they feel like they've got to justify their powerlessness, so they say, oh, well, you know, the ultimate healing will come when you get to heaven. Well, that's just going against everything that the Bible says on earth as it is in heaven. So I, if it was me and I'm not seeing that breakthrough, it's like I'm not going to project my powerlessness onto the person. I'm going to go back to the foot. Like, put it this way, there's three people in the equation. I'm praying for CJ, right? Who's in the equation? CJ, me, and God. Well, I've got something shocking to tell you. The the shortfall's not on God's side. So that leaves two of us. Now, if we're called to be ministers of life and reconciliation and releases of hope, then guess what? Shortfall's not on his side. Leaves one person in the equation. And I gotta to learn to not beat myself up. And that's where I've got to go back to the foot of the cross and say, Father, I have to have a greater revelation of who you are in me and who you are through me. Make sense? There's just different layers of truth. I mean, some people that are just not being healed, I mean, their ultimate victory comes when they go to heaven. But we've taken that and applied it to everyone and everything when we don't see an answer. I had to go and pray for an elderly gentleman a few years ago, and I mean, I was so faith-filled, I was going to get this 90-year-old healed. Walk into the house, knock on the door, and they didn't answer, and they didn't answer. They were both deaf. I finally, you know, pretty much kicked the door down. I could see them inside. I could see they weren't hearing me, so I kind of like broke into the house and went in. And she goes, "Oh, you're here! Oh, finally, you showed up!" I'm like, "Yeah, the door for ten minutes." (laughs) And she says, "Um," and I'm just like, "Man, I just 
so looking forward to praying for your husband. And she goes, don't you dare pray for him to be healed. Just pray that he dies tonight, will you? <laughs> like he just wants to go home and I just want him to go home. You know, it's like, yeah, that man got his ultimate victory in heaven. He received a reward that now no one can ever take away from him. You know, and it's, someone emailed me about this yesterday, a question about this yesterday, because they'd read my book and they asked me a question about it. And, and sometimes we have to have the, the hat of the healer. I'd like to rephrase that. Let's always keep the hat of the healer on. And sometimes we have to have the hat of the pastor. And sometimes we need to learn as to how to apply what hat when. Because if I'm praying for a 95-year-old, you know, I, I honestly believe that it's God's will that no one should die sick. Right? That when they come to die, they're just gone. That's how my grandparents are going to go. Been in divine health all their life. They'll just go. I'll just get a phone call one day and I think they're going to go together holding hands in bed. Dude, I just, I, just, I just interviewed them and they're sitting on the couch, just 92-year-olds just holding hands like little lovers, teenage lovers. It was so sweet. And it's like when they go, I think that they're just going to go and that's the way to go. I think that that's God's best for us. But if, they, if someone's sick in that case and that, you know, I'm not going to go against that woman who said, just pray for him to die. I mean, I can't pray that. And I'm not going to pray that. Just die. Die, old man. I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to pray that, right? That's what she wanted me to pray pretty much. I can't pray that. But I'm not going to go against her will where she's like, he just wants to go home. And that's where it's like, I got the pastor's hat on. Father, I thank you, Father, for this precious man's life. I thank you for the way he served and the fruit that he's seen. And it's just a prayer of thanksgiving. And they just felt so edified. And I was hardly home and I found out he'd passed away. It's like, beautiful. Okay, a couple more. We've got eight minutes left. Okay, uh, for those people that are reveling in their affirmities and um, don't really want the healing, but they're looking for sympathy everywhere they turn, um, I find myself not very sympathetic, but how do I not tie that into my compassion? Because I felt like if I'm not sympathetic, then I'm not compassionate. No, I don't think that that's quite right. Is that you can operate out of compassion and still address the needs of the person. But sympathy is when your awareness becomes larger. Sorry, sympathy is when your awareness of the problem becomes larger than the awareness of the answer. So you can be ministering to that person, but you just got to keep your eyes and be aware of the answer because it's really easy for them to pull you into their atmosphere of doubt. And woe am I, and I'm dying, and I'm sick. Don't you care for me? 
I'm depressed. The next thing you are. So I'd be going into that situation of protecting, doing everything possible to protect your atmosphere. Now walk into the... Just you walk in there and you just love and you be happy and they might be all depressed, but you just you're not gonna come under their atmosphere. You're just gonna stay joyful. As he is, so are you to the world. And he was full of joy more than all of his companions. When he when he kicked out the mourners, when he raised the girl from the dead. I love that story. I got a whole message on that. Kicks the mourners out. Why did he kick the mourners out? I'm not so sure that it was to protect his atmosphere. He kicked the mourners out because they're professional mourners. He carried such confidence of the Father that I believe that Jesus knew before he got there that she's going to be raised from the dead. He didn't need a mourning party. He needed a celebration party. They were professional and hired mourners. That's what they were in those days. That's why he kicked them out. Get out, boys. I don't think he's protecting this atmosphere, though. I think we need to protect our atmosphere. Walks in there with such confidence of heaven that he knew she was going to raise from the dead. See, that's the kind of confidence we need to walk in when we're walking into atmospheres that are contrary to what we're carrying is our atmosphere has to be greater. We have to carry the confidence of heaven that you've got a good father with a big heart that's backing you up. Yeah, because they want you to partner with their problem. I'm not going to partner with anybody's problem. I'm sorry. It doesn't mean I'm not going to love and address needs. But what it does mean is that I'm going to protect my atmosphere of heaven. My atmosphere of joy and peace. And it's like your cruddy day is not going to make my cruddy day. You might be having a sad day, but I'm going to have a happy day. I'm not going to say that to them. It's probably going to make them angry. It's like you can go in and they're depressed. And it's like, watch yourself. You go in there next time and they're all depressed and suddenly you're getting depressed. It's just their atmosphere jumping on you. Be more conscious of it. It's like when you walk in there, it's like, even if it makes them angry because you're just full of the joy of the Lord, it's like, that's okay. It's like, protect your atmosphere. Could you share a little bit about um, praying for broken marriages or broken um, relationships with parents and, and siblings? Yeah. Um, I, I don't say this in any... I don't want anyone to be condemned over this statement, right? God hates divorce. I come from a divorced family. My stepmom. My father's remarried. His wife's the same age as me. It's okay, I'm healed. <laughs> He's more like my sister than my stepmom. Um, I don't really know what to answer apart from I know that God hates divorce. And I don't ever want to I never want to be condemning to someone 
that's been divorced. I think God hates divorce because it just messes families up. You know, kids and all that sort of stuff. I'm not really quite sure what to answer on that, apart from, you know, I'm I'm obviously... I'm obviously not against remarriage either. <laughs> totally. Totally. And I've seen some miraculous reuniting of marriages. The greatest one I think I probably ever saw was in Guatemala. Great pastor friend of mine. Great friend of mine. And I didn't realize his marriage is in a shambles. Absolute. I had a student team down there on a missions week. He's taking me to a new piece of land that he had bought to build his church. And and the students were with me. And right in front of me, he just broke down and told me that they're getting divorced. And he's going on Monday to see the general superintendent to tell them that they're getting divorced. And it was very spontaneous. Within 20 minutes, I remarried them. Not not that they were divorced. <laughs> we had a reunion, reunion, re, reunion of their wedding vows on the land where the church was going to be built, and they just both wept before the Lord and embraced each other, sent the team off. And they're like, just go do something. I need to spend some time here. 20 minutes, they were totally reconciled. That's like seven years ago, and they are just like on fire. It's like, man, I just love seeing God break into everything. Marriages, finances, health, everything. It's like, he's the God. I have to live. With this conviction that nothing, nothing, say nothing, is impossible for God. That's the conviction I have to live with. All right, last one. One more. And we'll, we need to break. So um, I've heard, and I don't really have any radar for this, so I'm totally a blank slate. I'm just curious on your thoughts on it. Um, that like unforgiveness can cause actual physical issues. Yes. Um, I was just wondering what your take on that would be. Well, of course, unforgiveness. Sorry, I didn't mean that in a demeaning way. Unforgiveness can cause physical issues without question. Psychology will tell you that people with bitterness can cause physical issues. Unforgiveness can cause physical issues. My question is this. Now, some of you are probably not going to like what I'm going to say. If I'm praying for Robert, and Robert's got unforgiveness, I've picked on you today, haven't I? And Robert's got unforgiveness, be careful about how you answer this, right? I'm going to ask you a question, I want you to answer. Could his unforgiveness prevent him from receiving healing? Yes or no? Who says yes? You're all too scared now, right? (laughs) You know it's a trick question. Who says yes? Get my hands up for yes. Okay, who says no? All right, who's too scared to put their hand up? (laughs) And who has no idea? Okay, now I'm going to re-ask the question. Could Robert's, should Robert's unforgiveness prevent me from healing him? Who says yes? Who says no? Right. I say no. Because if Jesus is our role model, there's not one person that he came to and said, I'd like to heal you, but you don't have unforgiveness. 
I'm sorry, I'd like to heal you, but you have unforgiveness, so I can't. It's the goodness of God that brought them to repentance. See, my atmosphere of heaven has to be greater than the problem that he's dealing with. Now, what I didn't just say is, is I don't care about his unforgiveness. But what I did just say is that my God's bigger than any problem I've ever met, including unforgiveness and sin. Think about this. If we could only be healed because we're perfect, then those that are perfect, would you mind just floating up right now so I can see who you are? (laughs) I like you, Ben. So I'm just making sure that I, I live in a way that I'm not impressed with the, I'm not impressed with the problem. And, I, and I'm going to touch on this tonight, that I think sometimes we pray and we say, Robert, you didn't get healed. You got unforgiveness. Don't you? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And then we use the name of the Lord. You do. The Lord just showed me. Have another look. And like I said last night, I've never gone in, coming up feeling great. See, my job in the healing ministry is to get Robert's eyes on the author and the perfecter of faith. It's not to become introspective. Because God is bigger than unforgiveness. Do I want to see the person? Let me finish off this story real quick. A drug addict came to me a few years ago in Connecticut. It was the same church in Mystic that I spoke about the other night in Mystic, Connecticut. He's about 65, and he comes and he stands in front of me, and he goes, Chris, he's first time in church, right? And the guy got a big cowboy dude. And I just stood him up. I said, Jesus, get him. And he just like, just buckled at the knees. He said, no one has ever knocked me down, ever, except you. I'm like, oh, no, am I in trouble? (laughs) And he comes up and he goes, I'm a heroin addict. I write the story. He's in my book, my first book. He said, I'm a heroin addict. Do you think your God can deliver me of that? And I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, would you pray for me? And I'm like, yes, sir, I will. Now, I think I hear the Lord say he has unforgiveness towards his mother. Right Now, if I say, do you have unforgiveness towards your mother? Where are you most likely going to look? Inside. <laughs> He's going to become introspective. Now, what if, I got it, what if I got it wrong? See, I don't want to tell people what their devils are. I want people to tell me what their devils are. So this is what I said to this man. I said, hey, can I just ask you a question? He goes, yeah. I said, were you raised in this town? And he goes, yes, I was. Right here. He said, I've never left the state. I'm like, really? I said, uh, your parents still alive? He goes, why are you asking me about my parents? And I'm like, if you spot them, you've got them. I didn't say that to him inside. And I said, let me just ask you a question. I said, I'm sorry, to, like, why, what, what's gone wrong with your parents? He goes, I hate my parents. They are burning in the pit of hell and they can rot all of their lives. I hate them. 
And I'm like, this man's on the way to freedom. I didn't tell him what his devil was. He told me what his devil was by asking an indirect question phased as politeness. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that, um, Tex. I said, what happened? And he goes, my mother bet me from the day I was born until the day she died. She abused me. She da, 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 da. And I'm like, let me ask you another question, Tex. Let's just say, by the grace of God, your mother made it to heaven. And she goes, wrong. He goes, wrong. She's rotting in hell. (laughs) And I said, hey, hey, you got to work with me. Please work with me for a minute. And he goes, okay. Let's say, by the grace of God, your mother made it to heaven. What would she be doing right now? And he said, rejoicing. Praying for him, worshiping. And I'm like, you're probably right. Let me ask one more question and we'll pray. And he goes, yeah? I said, out of, the, out of your mum and yourself, who in that equation is the one left in torment? Myself. And I said, do you want to do something about that? Yes. And I said, just pray this with me. Father, I choose to forgive my mother. And he goes, I choose to forgive my mother. And I choose to, I led him through this prayer. And I choose to release her into your best. And then I hear this, <laughs> I had my eyes closed. And he just, boom, went down. He's like six, six tall and seven foot six wide. You know. <laughs> and he got up, set free of heroin. He now lives in Texas, and I hear from him once in a while. He's set free. See, the point is, is I never told him what his devil is. I never told him he had unforgiveness, because what if I heard it wrong? I don't want to project something upon him to cause him to become introspective. I'm not going to tell him what his devil is. I'm going to make people tell me what their devils are, and then we'll deal with them. And he gets set free. And I think the church has to stop projecting powerlessness and projecting Devils upon people. Wow, boy's got autism. Come out, devil. You just projected a devil on them for something that's probably not even there. In my experience with those kids, it's not there. It's just a broken brain that needs some peace. Amen? All right. We've gone eight minutes over. I'm sorry. I do like to finish on time, but... uh, yeah. You guys doing all right? Yeah. Hopefully that was helpful to you. Like, I really enjoy Q&A because I feel like I'm really getting to what you want to know as opposed to me just telling you what you don't want to know or what you already know. <laughs> so I, so, I so love it. I could teach all day. Like, I mean, I've got so much stuff. There's so many holes that I feel that are, that are there and... Uh, you know, but you've got your you've got your manual. There's a lot in there's a lot in there. There's a lot of chapters in there on. I've got a chapter in there on fact and truth. I've got a deal a chapter in there on dealing with intellectual offence. I've got a chapter in there of knowing how much you're loved. That's one of my favourite messages. The Secret of John. That's taken out of that in there. The Secret of John. Really knowing that 
It's not how much I love God, but how much God loves me. And that just brings me into a great place of freedom. So there's a chapter in there. See, when we fix all these foundational things in our life, the fruit will just flow. I don't want to teach the principles. I know I've already said this. I don't want to teach the principles and not fix the foundation. This transformed mind reveals the glory of God. You start transforming your mind and fix the, found, the cracks in the foundation. You have a solid foundation. Fruit will just happen. Fruit just happens. And uh, so that's what I've kind of been trying to aim at rather than the principles. And tonight we're gonna, I'm going to teach out of a chapter in the book, I think, called uh, Removing the Doubts. And we're systematically going to destroy doubts because it's not the lack of faith in people, it's the presence of doubts. Thank you to the powerless church who have helped create them. So we're just going to go through and destroy all those doubts and then we'll minister to the sick. It's like kicking crutches out from under people. Not physical crutches, all the crutches that they lean on on life as to why they shouldn't be healed. We're just going to kick all those out and then we're going to get people healed. Amen? All right. What time are we back? Seven o'clock. Come with an expectant heart. I tell you, there's something, I, I think it was you I was talking to about last night. I said, or someone, I said, there's something really powerful when we actually come with an expectant heart. Don't come like, I wonder if anything's going to happen tonight. Come with, what's going to happen tonight? Like, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen tonight. Come with that expectant heart that anything, anything can happen, right? Because we're living with the conviction that nothing is impossible. Amen? Bless you guys. This is the last chance to get those books at that cheaper price. They'll go back up again tonight. And uh, so we'd, I, I don't remember what the deal was, but you, they are definitely cheaper during the day than what they are at night. So you can go out and see the team out there. Bless you guys. See you tonight.